today I want to launch the second half of our Giving uh, Plus Thanks series. And we're going to be talking, we've been talking a lot about giving. And today we're going to start talking about thanks. And I'm going to kick it off with a topic of contentment. And this is actually a one of two parts. Okay, we're going to be talking about contending for contentment, part one. And then in a few weeks, we'll hit it up with part two. Um, And that's what we're going to do. To be content is not necessarily something we fall into. Am I right? You know, very few people are bent that way where they're just content. It's actually something that we will fight for. We have to fight for our contentment, which seems a little ironic because the nature of contentment by definition seems to be speak more of rest and not a fight. Contentment is an emotional state of satisfaction that can be seen in a mental state drawn from being at ease in one's situation, body, and mind. Happiness is an experience with a temporal feeling, right? It's usually marked by positivity or joy. I'm happy about this. Contentment, on the other hand, is a long-lasting feeling accompanied by peacefulness, rest, and thanksgiving. Contentment isn't just a better way to live. It's not just like a very good option. It is literally the only way to live as we walk out our purpose and fulfillment of what God's plan is for our lives. Discontented life is not, it's not a good option. <laughs> Although I would say a good portion of our society lives day to day in discontentment. A discontented life looks inward. It looks at all the things we lack. It looks at all the things that's missing and uh, what I could have. And then it looks up to blame God for, for not being the genie in the bottle that we look at him as. A discontented life is a place we get stuck when our contentment is on things that we cannot control. When we base our contentment on things we can't control. It's things like, well, what do people think about us? What do other people say about us? Uh, you, you know, w- what we have, what we don't have. So when we rely on these things to make us happy, to feel good, it can lead to a lack of contentment and overall a, just a dissatisfaction with life. With no way to get out of it because we can't change people and we can't always just change our situation like that. Contentment is a personal issue. It has nothing to do with other people. It has nothing to do with your husband or your wife. It has nothing to do with how big of a house you live in. It has nothing to do with how much money you have, the job you have, or your relationship status. Nothing. These externals will affect our happiness but should have no impact on our contentment. See, it's always tempting to look at others and think, well, they kind of have it better than we do. And if I just had a little bit more, then my life would be better. Or if I had that, or if I lived there, or, you know, if I just moved over here, if I just might just got that promotion, or it would be better. This is a deceptive pursuit that can cost us years. True contentment cannot be achieved by increase or change. First Timothy in chapter six, it says this, it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. 
Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, then we should be content with that. So why is contentment important in our lives? See, I believe that the greatest danger for the discontented heart is not that we would live dissatisfied with our circumstances, but that in time we might turn away from God in order to chase our personal desires that we believe will lead us to contentment. Well, it's just not what I want, and I just didn't know that could happen, and I Some of the symptoms of a growing life of discontentment are this, envy, jealousy, covetousness, where you find yourself grumbling or complaining a lot or moaning, "Mm, ah, I can't believe this again. You make comparisons with that other person, with that other situation. Bitterness starts to rise up and anger, like it's like you're so quick to be angry about something. You're like, I don't remember always being that way. You start to worry about tomorrow and next week and next year. You start to have anxiety about your life and your situation, about your children. See, we cannot afford to have discontentment take up space in our life. This is, this is not the life I want to live. You know, this, what a waste of this one life that we get. This is not the example I want to leave to my children. And I want to model to my children. See, children are funny because they, they literally have everything. You know, I mean, like, honestly, in, in this, in our Western world, our children have everything. Every toy, vacation, snack, you know, play dates they could ever dream of. But yet they'll walk through Target and they'll be like, I wish I had that. Right? Like, I mean, you could literally go on a dream vacation to Walt Disney World. I say that because it's, like, big. You know, you get on a plane, and you go all the way over there, and then you're there for five days, and you do all the parks, and, you, and then you come back, and the very next day, they'll be like, but I wish I had that one Disney princess doll. Kids are funny. But adults are kind of like that, too. <laughs> like, what is it about us that makes us fight to the death To the death, as if our very lives depended on it. The very day after we spend being thankful for everything we already had. It's called Black Friday, guys. And you've been a part of it. What is it? What's wrong with us? What's the matter with our society? We need to model godly contentment for our children and for our world. And and this is going to take work. There's a contending for contentment that has to happen. But how? Okay. How do I how do I do this? How do I how do I choose contentment? Isn't it just a product of my situation? Isn't it doesn't just relate to kind of what I have in relation to what I desire? If my possessions and my state of my life are aligned with the desires of my heart, then I should be content, right? But if it falls short, then I'm discontent. I don't believe that's the way it works. I, don't, I believe contentment is truly a choice, and we contend for our contentment. See, there are aspects in the kingdom that are only available and only accessible through choice, and I believe contentment is one of them. There is a process of working this out in our lives. So we should be content in the process of contending for contentment, <laughs> but never stopping the process. 
Godly contentment is a state of being satisfied with the blessings he has brought into our lives without settling for less than his best for our future. So how? How do we do this? What is the starting point? And that's what we're going to really focus on today in part one is the starting point of a contented life. And we're going to go to Philippians verse four, uh, chapter 4. I'm going to read verse 11 to start. It says, not, this is, this is Paul, not that I am implying that I was in any personal want. He said, for I have learned how to be content, satisfied to the point where I'm not disturbed in whatever state I am. I know how to live humbly and I know how to enjoy plenty. I have learned in any and all circumstances the secret of facing every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, having sufficiency and enough to spare, or going without and being in want. I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me. He said, I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength in me. I am self-sufficient, and that word self-sufficient is content. It translates to be content in Christ's sufficiency. Paul says, I've learned the secret We've talked about this before. I don't know if you remember. About a year ago, I told you the secret. Does anyone remember what the secret is? Guys, I'm just kidding. I, like, I barely remember what I talk about, so I'm not going to put that on you. It's thank- Thanksgiving, being thankful. That is the secret of a content life. If we go back a little bit in verse 6, he says this, Do not fret or have anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance and in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God and God's peace shall be yours. That tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ and so fearing nothing from God and being content with its earthly lot of whatever sort that is, that peace which transcends all understanding, shall garrison and mount guard over your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, that's a lot right there. That's a lot. So by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, we continue going back to the Lord. And then God's peace will garrison around our heart and our minds in him. A garrison is the troops who, who maintain and guard the base or 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 a fortified place. They surround a place to protect. So when we offer thanksgiving to the Lord, there is a peace that's released back to us around our lives. And that peace looks like an army. And that army are troops that surround our hearts and our minds. So these are our thoughts, our emotions, our, 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 our way of how we interact with people and, and our world. That Those peace troops surround us and they release contentment because suddenly you go from wanting, needing, desiring, longing, I wish, to being surrounded by so much peace that it prevents every thought or feeling of lack from getting into your state of mind and emotion. So instead of I wish, you're just at total peace with your situation because I'm so thankful for where God has brought me already. I know I haven't arrived, but I know that, it, it, that I'm so much closer to where I want to be. And I'm so much better off than where I was. 
And even, even if it's literally the worst right now, I'm so thankful he's with me. And, I, and as, I'm, as I'm thankful, he releases his troops of peace around me. And I'm so at peace that's beyond my understanding or my situation. Because I know he's going to come through. So Thanksgiving releases peace, which unlocks contentment. Biblical contentment is just being satisfied with what we have, who we are, where we're going. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, if you decide for God, living a life of God worship, it follows that you don't fuss about what's on the table at mealtimes or whether the clothes in your closet are in fashion. There's far more to your life than the food you put in your stomach, more to your outer appearance than the clothes you hang on your body. Look at the birds. Free and unfettered, not tied down to a job description, careless in the care of God. And you count far more than the birds. Jesus is saying, just be content with what you have. Don't worry. Don't long after. Don't fuss. And then he goes on to say, if God gives such attention to the appearance of the wildflowers, most of which are never seen on the earth, don't you think he'll attend to you, take pride in you, do his best for you? He said, what I'm trying to do here is get you to relax. To not be so preoccupied with getting so you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way he works, they fuss over these things. But you know both God and how he works. Amen? Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, and God provisions. Now, that's a word right there. Steep your life. If you think about tea and the steeping and steep your life in God reality, God initiative, and God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. You know, when we were a young family, I, I faced this, this temptation. And we, we had been in ministry. We started in ministry straight out of Bible college. And then um, we were needing some things and some things transitioned and um we were we out of ministry while craig was taking um a real job i'm gonna say that and that's so funny because ministry is a real job guys i don't know if you knew that but it is you know and but he took another job and we were trying to like just kind of get a little bit ahead financially we had some bills and things like that we need to look after and um the temptation with a young family and, and just like a little baby, little baby Josiah, um, was to just settle into that life because it wasn't a bad life, okay? And I had this, I thought it would be really, really awesome to build this dream home and to find a really good church and to volunteer once a month in the nursery and to which is all like really good things, you know, and uh, to live our lives building the American dream, you know, putting away money, building a big home, having their kids dressed in the best clothes, going to all the programs, involved in all the sports, you know, and I, I thought this is going to be great. What a, what a great like backup plan, you know, and maybe it could be the main plan. And there was just this, this temptation to just like, to, to lean into that because it, it, it was a nice life and, and I wanted this life. And we did it for a season, 
in between ministry positions. The problem was, although I began to get all these things, and we did, we built a, a three homes actually, and the third one was like a dream home. And um, although I had all the things that I, in my head, I thought I wanted, I couldn't find contentment in it. It's like no matter how much I got, it didn't change how I felt on the inside because it wasn't the life that God had called me to. Not that he doesn't want to bless me with all those things anyway, but those things without following the call of God in my life are meaningless. It is a chasing after the wind. It ends in death. It doesn't go on into eternity. And, and, and I, it wasn't very long at all. We weren't in that season very long, but a minute. <laughs> And we were like, we don't want that. Because it, it's so interesting. We think if we chase all these things, we will find contentment in life. And we think if our wants are satisfied, then we will feel great. But biblical contentment doesn't come that way. That's not the way it works in the kingdom. The Bible says if you want to gain your life, you lose it. If you want everything, you give it all away. It's the opposite of what we think. We must lose it all for the sake of Christ so that he can gain back in our lives everything we've ever hoped or dreamed of. I had to risk it all. I had to risk it all and trust him that he actually knew what I wanted more than I knew what I wanted. I had to waste it all on Jesus, fighting the thoughts of, well, what if I never get all those things? What if I never, what, what if that is the way to true happiness? All in my process of contending for contentment. And to be thankful for exactly where I was, which was the starting point. See, what I know now, today, you know, 20 years later, is that what I have gained compared to what I thought I gave, it doesn't even compare. <laughs> like, what? A misstep of mine would have been to chase those things. What a waste of my life. See, the blessing that I received in letting go of all those things and chasing God and obedience was well worth it, which just isn't even like, that's not even enough words. As we were worshiping this morning, I just had this overwhelming sense of God. It's not enough. It's not enough. I can't give you enough for what you're worth. I can't. We're not doing, we, we can't, we're not doing enough. And you guys were worshiping this morning. You were pressing in. And I'm like, it's not enough for what you're worthy of. It's not enough. We can never give enough. See, my, my contending for contentment didn't just happen overnight. And it's still, like, it's daily. You guys know it's a daily thing to be content in the Lord. And there's lean seasons and there's dark nights, but we contend even in the darkest, knowing that he is faithful. If anyone in the Bible could relate to walking away from like the good life, uh, so to speak, and, and comforts, it was Paul. Paul. Paul, formerly known as Saul. He was a Roman citizen with prestigious status. I mean, he was somebody. He had a brilliant mind, and, and he was highly respected in his sphere, in society. And in a dramatic encounter with the Lord, he said yes to God. And he completely turned a 180 and started following the Lord with everything. He gave up everything of his former life to say yes. 
In 2 Corinthians 11, he says this, I worked much harder, been jailed more often, beaten up more times than I could count, and at death's door time after time. I've been flogged five times with the Jews' 39 lashes, beaten by Roman rods three times, pummeled with rocks once. I've been shipwrecked three times and immersed in the open sea for a night and a day. In hard traveling year in and year out, I've had to ford rivers, fend off robbers, struggle with friends. You guys have been through that. Maybe some of you are going through that. Struggle with foes. I've been at risk in the city, at risk in the country, endangered by desert sun and sea storm. I've been betrayed by those I thought were my brothers. That hurts more. I've known drudgery and hard labor, many a long and lonely night without sleep, many a missed meal, blasted by the cold, naked to the weather. And then it goes on, and that's not the half of it. When you throw in the daily pressures and anxieties of all the churches. When someone gets to the end of his rope, I feel desperation in my bones. When someone is duped into sin, an angry fire burns in my gut. I can relate to that one. Nothing is more devastating and frustrating all at once than a Christian duped into sin. The enemy gaining ground on a brother or sister in the Lord. I can't stand that. Paul's been through it. He's like, I've been through it. Yet he's the one. He's the one in Philippians saying, but I got the secret. I know the secret of a contented life. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've been through some stuff. I'd had rocks thrown at me once. You know, that sucked, you know. But I know the secret of contentment. He said, I know what's to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty, but I've learned the secret to being content in every situation. And he means every situation. You know, most people in the world live in poverty. I think you guys know that. 85% of the world live on less than $30 a day. Two-thirds live on less than $10 a day. And every 10th person lives on less than $1.90 a day. Yet, we, upper-class Americans, we have a problem being content. We need to contend for our contentment in the good and in the bad. Solomon, the richest man who ever lived, says this. He said, the one who loves money is never satisfied with money. Nor the one who loves wealth with big profits. He says, more smoke. It's just smoke. The Jews, if you're aware, they practice this um, religious thing. Um, I guess it was just a religious practice of theirs called the Sabbath. I'm sure you're aware. This was a day to do absolutely nothing. Okay, it was extreme. <laughs> it was extreme when they they really did nothing. And the Pharisees and the Romans, that you know, these the, there's just like there's a seriousness to this these Sabbath rules, and it was breaking the law to do any work on this holy day of rest. 
This was a big part of the Old Testament law. Okay, now Jesus, through his death, we know, became Lord over the Sabbath. And he made a way for us to no longer live under the rules and, and the regulations of the Old Testament law. But in every way, he fulfilled the law. When he came. So we don't have to bow anymore to a religious concept or rule, but we are free to function in all that his death and resurrection has brought to our, into our lives. Okay? So one of these things is to be able to stay at rest and to be able to live a continual Sabbath lifestyle. That's what we get to participate in because of Jesus' death and resurrection. So there's no striving or working for our relationship with the Lord anymore. We, there's no rules against what I can or cannot do on Sunday. We just live in this rest. So we are like, well, what does this have to do with anything? Well, it's important to know this because we need to understand that a life of contentment in the Lord flows out of a life of Sabbath in the Lord. We have to stay at a continual rest in him. Or we're just going to be all high strung all the time with anxiety and fear and worry and this and that and striving and achieving. And we have to stay at rest in the Lord. So as we offer our thanks, our gratitude for what he's done, his placement in our lives, where we are, our, our, our peace troops, like we talked about, come and they garrison around our hearts and our minds. And then we, we literally place ourselves in the hub of protection and rest of the Lord. Within that garrison, we stay at rest. We keep our thoughts focused and we are able to stay content in every situation. In doing this, you become exactly what your family needs exactly when they need you. I, I know one thing about, about mom's and ladies in the home, that man, do they set the temperature of the home. <laughs> you set the temperature of the home. It's very important that we set it right, that we are at rest in the Lord, so that when this comes in from this wind of this struggle in, in our um, son's life or this wave comes in with our daughter and there's something going on or a husband comes home and it has been a brutal day we can flow out of rest in the lord of our sabbath of the lord and we can just uh dismantle all the things that the enemy is trying to do and we can continue to keep our homes at rest and at peace in the lord now, I also know that the men in your home, there is an authority that you bring, and there is a, a, a ruling that you, can, that you can establish in your home that says this will stand and this will not stand. And it's very important as the, as the men in your homes, even, and we can extend this to the workplace, in the supermarket, as men and women, we can set temperature and we can sit dominion of the Lord as we operate out of our position in him. So it's very important that we are at rest in him so that you know what ruling to make, so you know what heaven is saying, so you know what the Lord is doing, so that you can bring it into every situation. There are people, maybe even beside you, right now, that are not okay. That need to know the peace of God, the shalom, to give them 
the shalom, the peace of God, to help them, to refocus them. And then there's, there's, there's people that we pass in our journeys in life and when we work in schools, we drop off our kids or maybe it's that, that person that calls you that, you know, those spam calls, you know. Maybe it's that person that needs to know the peace of the Lord. You don't know what assignment you have been given unless you say, God, what assignment Am I, like, we, we need to be so aware, hyper aware of the Spirit of God at work in our lives. Out of the box, what is he doing? What people is he bringing into my life? At your workplace, maybe there's a cubicle beside you. Maybe, maybe there's someone who's pouring the coffee next to you or the, or the office above you. Or there, There's people fighting this uphill battle to live the American dream, to be content with their life, and yet no matter how much they chase it, there's a dissatisfaction on the inside because they can never fill it. Only Jesus can. The harder they fight, the more discouraging it is, and that's why you see people come to the end of, of the rope at the end where they, they don't find a reason to, to, to live anymore. It, it, a, a lot of times it's, it's not that they're so sad. It's that they don't have a reason to live. They don't have a purpose to live. We have to contend for our contentment and contend for others' contentment. Releasing the peace, the shalom of the Lord. And, and, and you know, this, isn't, this doesn't look like coddling. I'm sorry if I give you a picture of just hugging the person next to you because sometimes, you know, it can be a hug. But sometimes it's like, get up on your feet. Get up on your feet. You know better. You know the Lord and how he works. We know the Lord and how he works. Get up on your feet. Stop dabbling in this. Stop chasing this over here. Get up on your feet and follow the Lord. It doesn't always look like coddling. Sometimes it's tough love. Sometimes it's, 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 it's giving people like a, 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 a wake-up call, so to speak. You know, we can't sit around and enable people to just, to just walk a casual life of destroying themselves as they chase after the wrong things. What are we doing? I don't want to get to the end of my life and the Lord be like, why didn't you tell that person they were about to jump off that cliff? Why didn't you tell them? Why didn't you warn them? You saw all the signs and yet you just, you didn't want to hurt their feelings. So you just kind of like, like hope them back or, you know, softly encourage them or I'm just going to be here when you need me. I mean, sometimes, but sometimes it's like, you need me. <laughs> so I'm going to pull you back right now. I'm going to save you even though you don't know you need saving. Because not on my watch will I watch you walk up that cliff. It looks like calling people higher. It looks like reminding them of what God's done. Even though they might already know. We don't let people destroy themselves or vent them. You know, sometimes we just let people vent their way out of their problems. But we call people higher into the rest of the Lord, into the promises of his faithfulness, into a life of obedience for him. 
This looks like not lowering our standard to suit their compromise, but raising them higher because we know their potential. See, we contend, we don't concede. My grandfather, I've talked about my one grandfather on my mom's side, and then I had my other grandfather on my dad's side um, was just a little bit opposite of the other one. <laughs> and uh, I grew up with him. The only view I had of him was he was a very, very angry man. Uh, he was very unhappy. He complained a lot. I don't remember him smiling or saying anything positive ever. When we go to visit, it was like we were on eggshells all the time. And I don't remember my dad having a very good relationship. I feel like he tried, um, but it was just like his dad was just so unhappy with life. He wasn't a believer his whole life, his, his, my grandfather. He, he was just so negative, and, and nothing was good enough. I mean, from, from meals to TV to, I mean, it was just like everything all the time. It was really uh, hard to understand as a little kid. Um, so in that, I believe that my father took on maybe some of that because how many know that like the generations, like what we put off, like what our children are going to pick up, right? So it's very important what we do. So I feel like my dad fought some of that internally. And so he, you know, struggled with that negativity or, or that, you know, kind of more of a bleak outlook on life. But he was better. And I feel like then I kind of picked that up a little bit when I was younger. And I remember, gosh, being a kid and a teenager being so sarcastic. I mean so sarcastic. And not really the nicest person. Um, I really had a way with my words. And I could really tear people down pretty easily uh, with my words. And just everything was like this sarcastic humor. And I was in my teenage years when I felt the Lord challenge me on this and be like, you need to stop. That is not okay. And I remember just being like, yeah, that's right. I don't know how this is adding to my life or anybody else's. And just having this, like, awareness suddenly, just like, I need to stop. And I remember, like, stopping as I got a little older into my young adult and being like, I don't want to be that way anymore. And literally, almost like cold turkey, stop being sarcastic. Stop being negative. Stop, like, just like that. Boom. Just, it, I mean, it had to have been, like, supernatural, right? I believe my dad was better than his dad. And I believe that I'm better still. And I believe my kids would be better than me. You know, I believe that I've been totally set free. Like, I can't even think that way anymore. Like, when, when even, like... Someone might make a, a negative comment about like the, the most ridiculous thing. It, it could be anything, and it could be true. I'll like see the other side of it. You know, I'm just like, oh no, it's great. Everything's great all the time. Like I always now see the the positive. It's like God really changed me, transformed me from the inside. So I feel like now because I allowed that transforming work of the Lord, that my kids have a head start. Because how many know they need it in their schools? And Gosh, there's so much negativity and there's so much that's going to pull our kids in the wrong direction. 
that we need to give them shoulders to stand on in this area. I believe this is what family and future is all about, and this is, this is of eternal value. See, some things in the kingdom are accessible only by choice, and contentment is one of them. And we have to model that in our church, in our city, in our homes. It is impossible to live a life of contentment without first a heart of thanksgiving. And this is our starting place. Why don't we stand? As I said this morning, this is part one, and that's why it might seem a little abrupt how I'm ending today, because there was just so much to put into a message on this. So we're going to split it so I don't keep you here for another 40 minutes. I have to bring up more snacks. But today, as we go for part one of Contending for Contentment, this is our call, okay, to choose today to switch permanently to the person who lives thankful, who keeps at rest, and who dispatches the peace troops around the lives that you have influence over. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that you're with us. And I thank you for my friends here this morning that would say, you know what, I, I, I will pick up that call today because today I do want to switch permanently. I, I, I don't, I don't want to do it for a week or a month. I want to do a 180. I want to be transformed in this moment to a person who lives thankful, to a person who stays at rest in the Lord and who can release that peace and that rest and that heart of thanksgiving to people around me. So I truly am an influencer of my home, of my workplace, and of my society. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. God bless you.